Welcome to SMPD, the podcast where we look back at the cartoons that shaped our childhood. Uh, something slightly different for us this episode, I think. Um, so, so far, we have looked back at cartoons. Yeah, um, Yeah, hence the intro. And more specifically, I guess, cartoons that appeal to children of a, of a certain age. Yeah, uh, not, not only that, I think there's a, there some particular... Themes that we picked up in the way we've some things we talked about, so certain styles, certain um, writing themes. Yeah, um, but but part of when Mark and I first talked about doing this show, part of the idea behind it was that we were going to use this to, to almost on a nostalgia kit, just talk back about things that, that we remember and that meant a lot to us. And so we're not just going to talk about, even though we've primarily touched on cartoons from the eighties and nineties and and action tunes and and gag tunes and stuff like that. We are also going to look at some of the very early stuff that, that I remember from my childhood and that Mark remembers from his and kind of preschool programs, if you like then. So the first one of those, um, this is a hell of a long intro, but the first one of those is going to be Button Moon. Yeah, now Button Moon, for me, I remember it being on TV for as long as I can, as long as I can recall. It was always on ITV. Um, don't remember, didn't remember a huge amount about it. I remember Mr. Spoon. From the, uh, mm-hmm. from the theme team, which you've just heard, um, and the fact that you, know, you had a button moon in a blanket sky, and they all went there and had little adventures. That's kind of all I remember coming into this. Okay, so I mean, for me, um, just to peek behind the curtain a little bit, the way this show works is that Mark and I discuss, uh, obviously off air, a schedule for what shows we're going to be talking about, and we, we put them together, and we've got a spreadsheet that we follow rigorously and yeah. pick out, and and Button Moon was really one of my picks, uh, I think. Yeah. Um, and and the reason behind that, I sort of feel like. I feel like there's two kinds of nostalgia. Um, there is nostalgia that is packaged and sold to us now on an everyday basis because it is a thing. And a lot of the, a lot of the shows that we've talked about, whilst they do mean a lot to us, and whilst you know they are genuinely very good. There are things now like Thundercats and He-Man and Animaniacs that are sold to us as adults because, hey, look, do you remember this thing when you were a kid? And so yeah. if you stop somebody in the street and say Thundercats, they'll instantly give you a positive response. Not an overwhelmingly positive response, but they will give you a positive response because it's still a thing. It's still out there. It's still in their lives. And they'll say, oh, yeah, I remember Thundercats and I remember the Sword of Omens and I remember the Thunder Tank because it doesn't go away. Yeah, and then I think there's actual nostalgia which it's not to say there isn't an element of that in what we've talked about previously but I think if you stop those same people on the street and they're of the right age and you say hey do you remember Button Moon Yeah, I think you'll get a completely different response yeah I think you'll get that response much like I had I remember a show called Button Moon yeah. and I may remember the theme tune which is going around in my head at the moment that's about it well as I say, of a certain age, because I think the response you will get is either that, yes, I remember Button Moon because it was a thing, or, as we've talked about before, I'm slightly older than Mark, and I think perhaps if you stop my people of my age, I'm saying it like I'm a completely different age, there's only like two years between us, but I think what you'll actually get is a very fond remembrance, mm. but you'll have to pull it out of them. Yeah. 
because they'll remember Mr. Spoon and they'll remember the baked bean tin rocket and they'll remember the blanket sky. And then if you start remembering it, I think you'll, you'll just pull these memories out of them because eventually I think they'll remember Egbert and they'll remember Big Bottle and Little Bottle and they'll remember Brew the Witch and they'll remember looking through the telescope. Yeah. But they won't instantly remember it no, because it's right. not there in the same way that Thundercat is. I, however, think that they may therefore more fondly remember it because that is actual nostalgia. Yeah, the fact that it's in there to be pulled, to be teased out. To be teased out. Oh, yeah, I think you're right there. Um, one thing I hadn't... Well, it's a lot of things I hadn't anticipated coming into this, but I didn't know how much there was. I didn't realise there were seven seasons. I didn't realise it ran from 1980 to 1988, so it was a hell of a long mm-hmm. run. I didn't realise there were 90-plus episodes. I didn't realise that many either. Yeah, um, so, I mean, and no, it's not something that, as a child, I would have ever contemplated, but I, because I don't have the same attachment to it, and as you were going through various yeah. different bits that I was thinking, oh, fuck yeah, I remember that. Case in point. Exactly. Yeah. Um, when you, as, as you're there talking about various <laughs> different things... I, I was remembering as they were coming out, but I said it was never. A, it's never one of those. I I'll ever look back on it and go, "Fucking hell!" I know I remember that, and I remember this, and I remember this, and I remember, and, and I want to see that again. It's never something I've. Ever, that's not something I've ever thought about. No, and I, and I don't think you. As I say, I, I don't think society packages this to us in the same way that could mm. because they can't merchandise it to us as adults the same way that they can yeah. with, say, Thundercats because Thundercats is cool. Yes. So if you if you put. The, if you put the Thundercast logo on a t-shirt you can make it look cool Yeah, you can't make Button Moon look cool it's not cool it is for preschoolers and I don't know there's just a certain amount of just innocence, childhood innocence attached with it that, that can't be cool because it is just innocent and it is what it is and there are shows of this type that are sort of packaged in the same way that Thundercats is. So when you, when you look back at something like, say, okay, the Magic Roundabout or a Captain Pugwash, or which were actually quite, quite adult in some of their themes, consciously so, and they were very nudge, nudge, wink, wink, you're able to sell that back to adults. Yeah. Button Moon is not that at all. Button Moon does not have sexual innuendo in there. Constantly, Button Moon does not have adult themes. Button Moon is a children's show for children. Yes, and therefore, yeah, it, it is. It is difficult to sell that back to adults. I think on it. I think so, and I think that it's it's a type of show that doesn't tend to exist now. If you look at the no, there are entire channels of kids programs now, mm-hmm. and there are very few of them that are put together in this way. There's one on CBBS, the name of which I can't remember. Um, and it'll come back to me as soon as we finish recording, I'm sure. But there's, um, it's, it's got a, it's set in a park, there's a fairly supernatural element to it, but it has a very similar look. Um, I think the most outlandish thing that happens is they fly in bubbles, so somebody gets caught in a bubble and flies away. Mm-hmm. But it's, it has a similar feel to it because it has a similar aesthetic. Mm-hmm. But again, I can't, outside from selling the little doll, who's like a little patchwork doll effectively, apart from selling that, there's not really any way to merchandise that. No. No, and, and Button Moon... I think even at the time, button moves him. It's not something you could merchandise because these are everyday objects. I mean, to to get to get into the show then, as it was um, for those people who don't know what it is, and I I can only imagine there are very few people that don't know what it is because now that we've said button moon and started reciting it, I'm sure you all know. I mean, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast if no, you did right. not know what button moon was. Um, 
but part of the genius of this show, I think, looking back and part of why it was, it was so well loved, is that somebody at some time was looking at a bunch of kitchen utensils, and created an entire world for these utensils to. Yeah. to inhabit so yeah. you've got mr spoon who yeah. is a wooden spoon and mrs spoon who is a wooden spoon with a sponge on her head and then their child of course is tina teaspoon who's yeah. a smaller spoon that's it and there are two ways of looking at that it's either somebody was really fucking high looking around their kitchen for something to eat on oh it's a spoon over there or somebody's on a commission to produce something oh shit i want to do um 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 um, um. Ooh, spoon mm. so one of those two things has happened to get to that production. I can't imagine anybody sat down and went, what's the best character I can ever devise? A spoon. I, I don't, this, there isn't a great deal written about Button Moon. No. So no. I don't know what that process was. Uh, maybe this is a slightly romantic way of looking at it. It's certainly the creative's way of looking at it. But I almost feel like it was something that just came in a moment. Uh, if you... If you are a creative person and you do have a creative mind, that you're just kind of dicking around with a bunch of kitchen utensils. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you form Mr. Spoon. And from Mr. Spoon comes Mrs. Spoon. And from there comes the baked bean can rocket. And from there comes Button Moon. And then we spiral off into this whole world where you've got talking bleach bottles. And you've got mm. a dustbin with googly eyes on it. And yeah. a vacuum cleaner that comes to life. And, and all of these things. And... Yes, okay, it would have, I guess, been conceptualised in the late 70s, so there probably was some substances involved. Yeah. Alright, I'm just going on, there's, um, on the Wikipedia page, and this is where we do most, or where I do most of my research. Um, I do no research, Mark does the research. Yeah, Chris, Chris does the nostalgia, I do the research. Um, but on the production tab on Wikipedia, it says, Button Moon was originally conceived by Ian Allen as a stage show for Playboard Puppets in 1978, so he did it as a puppet show. Now that makes sense. That would make more sense with the way the characters come up because uh -huh. available materials, cost, etc. Um, it was Alan adapted to a TV series for Thames TV two years later. So it was done by Thames TV, it was shown on ITV, um, and it's uh, been syndicated. All ninety-one episodes have been shown on UK, on UK Gold, which is one of our cable channels. I did not know uh, that since nineteen ninety-three. So uh, whether well, they're still showing, I don't know. But it's been shown certainly for the last fifteen years hmm. on on cable on rerun. Um, every episode is at least 10 minutes, so again, it's 10 minutes with that sort of animation, so a lot of work goes into that. There's a, yeah, there's, there's a hell of a lot of work. Um, for, it's interesting you say that, that it was a puppet show originally, because when you think of it now, when we're talking about buttons, Button Moon, you're thinking of Mr. Spoon and you're thinking of him as a rigid wooden spoon with a face painted on him, mm. right? I guarantee that's what, what, what you're thinking. If you watch this show, the level of puppetry involved is astounding. Yeah. It is absolutely amazing. For all these puppets look cheap, the way they give them character and they move is absolutely first class. And when, when you look at, when you've got things like Little Bottle as well, which is a bottle that's just cut open, yeah. the, the character that they manage to get through those is incredible. And then when you when you've got the sections where... Every episode, the, the spoons would look through a telescope yeah. and you would get a story. Sometimes that revolved around Brew the Witch and her dragon. Or sometimes it would be a take on a fairy tale like The Three Little Pigs or Hansel and Gretel. Or sometimes it would be a whole new story. And those sections were very, very short. They were only about two minutes. But the production level of the puppets in those 
was up there with anything that you'd get on TV at the time. They made yeah. actual Muppet-style puppets for those segments yeah. in a lot of cases, or marionettes, or whatever it was going to be. Like, there was... They were actual puppets as well. Yeah. It wasn't just Mr. Spoon. Yeah. You know? So, sorry, you interrupted there on a tangent, but yeah. No, that's fine. Um, me. I like I say, it's, it's quite interesting that, that that... It's the sort of thing that's... A, if you had it now, I mean, kids looking at... at Puppet shows as well. They're expecting marionettes. They're expecting Harmony mm-hmm. Q and Sesame Street and all that sort of stuff. They're, it's very difficult to get something like that. That, that as on the surface looks cheap, but there's a lot of work behind it off the ground because people expect so much more. Yeah. And even if as a child you're going into it with a, a sense of wonder or of not knowing even and, and coming out, our parental response or our adult response was that was cheap. That was crap. Yeah. Because you, you equate how it looks with, with what the content is. Yeah, I think that's the problem. And I talked about um, a show on CBBS which has a similar sort of feel to it. It's called Apne and Teal. I just looked it up, and as soon as I saw it, I kicked myself because I, yeah. I knew it was something like that. But it has a very similar feel to it. The difference is it's not um, it's not puppets. I think it's um, it's more claymated. Um, but again, it's got it's got that very similar toy like feel, very everyday feel to it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it's endured. Um, but there are, there aren't many shows like it anymore. No, this is certainly. Button Moon is, is a product of its time. Mm. Um, I think, even though it was the 80s, television as a format was still relatively young at that point. And kids' TV was something of a luxury, I think. It was one of those the channels didn't... Television itself was, not to sound like an old-timer, but yeah. television itself, when we were kids, was still quite a luxury. I mean, I can still remember having friends who didn't have colour TVs. Mm. Yeah. Colour TVs existed, and I always had one, yeah. But I can remember people who just had portable black and white sets with aerials yeah, on that, them. That's right. And then there were, I remember people, um, friends of mine who had a t- color TV who didn't have a remote. Which yeah. We had a remote. You had to get me. up and turn the dial. Yeah. Ours yeah. was the same. Or press the button. Press the button. That was it. Um, so yeah, I mean, my TV was, was, was quite a luxury. And so t- broadcast oven was in its infancy. So you had a couple of hours of broadcasting with a test card overnight. And so you, it wasn't always on. Yeah. But on top of that, to then set aside a couple of hours a day for children... Yeah. That was, no. I mean, BBC One did it. I think they went from sort of half three, four o'clock until five. And ITV, I think, did it from sort of 3.30 to five. So similar sort of slots. Mm. The after school, while you're doing your homework, put the TV on, or while mum and dad are coming home from work and cooking, yeah. sit the kids in front of the TV. Um, and that was kind of the slot you had. Whereas now, obviously, now you've got umpteen channels for kids and all well, the Well, I think, yeah, there's, there's saturation now. And, and with saturation comes a need for more content. Yeah. And with that, there is an inevitable decrease in overall quality. You'll still get shows which are exceptional, but there will also be a lot of filler. Yes. And I, and I think at, at the time Button Moon existed, and Thames Television especially, like, it, if I say Thames Television now, anybody of our age listening is going to hear that theme mm. and see that splash card with the bridge and, yeah. and everything. Because so many, especially these preschool shows, were done by Thames Television. Yes. And so they had a very tight control on, on the quality of that output. And we didn't have, uh, say, CBBS as a channel, or we didn't have an entire Saturday morning block yeah. just dedicated at this time. That's how, that's how far back this show goes. And I remember watching Button Moon in the early afternoon, not at, not at half past three. It was also originally on ITV a lunchtime block. Uh, it was after the news and before the soap operas. Right. So... It was kind of, I guess, 
one to half one-ish, something like that. And it would have things like Button Moon or Wind in the Willows or something. Or just something for younger kids. And Rainbow was in this block right, okay. as well. It was the same block. Right, okay. And it would have things for younger kids to watch. Um, and, and that's where it existed. But because essentially then, because it was week time, it, it, was on, it was a week time show and it was just lunchtime. You only needed five shows. Now, Rainbow was on, from my recollection, either two or three times a week. Yeah. Rainbow was on a lot. So, you only, so there again, you can reduce it from five different shows to you only need two or three shows. Yeah. So, you were able to really concentrate on your output. Yeah. And not only that, I mean, Thames had and still have a reputation for, for quality. But if you think of the things they were, they were putting out at the time, you had the odd Cosgrove Hall stuff as well. Yeah. Which... Spent was a big part of their output and cost a lot of money, but again, it was it was guaranteed quality. Yeah, they knew what they were getting animation wise, they knew what they were getting story wise, they knew what they were getting up, and generally they could predict what their audience share was going to be, and it was mm-hmm. always fairly consistent. They didn't have big peaks and troughs, whereas some of the other shows that were on kids' TV at the time, when it, well, it was all done through polling, then but what are your kids watching in the afternoon? It was never, you know, it was never going to be oh, they never watch this, or they always watch that. It was sort of up and down all the time. Apart from that sort of Thames TV stuff, because it was constant, and they had such a, um, a relationship with ITV, they pretty much controlled kids' TV on channel anyway. Yeah. yeah. And I think what you found was when, whereas the BBC had a differing output because they, they bought from here, there, and everywhere as well as producing their own, people would like some things and not like others, so they'd switch over to ITV. But because Thames yeah. stuff was pretty much always on, they wouldn't necessarily switch back. No. No, and I... I think um, Button Moon was so eye-catching as well that if you did just land on it, even as an adult, I think even though it was just a spoon with arms and legs and a little colander hat, it was eye-catching. It was colourful. It was, like I said, the puppetry was good. It's, to me, it's in a similar vein to Clangers. I, I was never really into Clangers, um, but they've, um, they've rebooted it in the last couple of years. It's on CBBS every day. But it had a similar sort of feel to that. It's just... As an adult, you look at it and it's nonsense. Yeah. It's complete gibberish, nonsensical, bright colours, a very short attention span story, so you haven't got to concentrate on it too much, but it gets kids engaged. Yeah. And it has that similar sort of feel to it. I think if you do actually go back on Button Moon and Clangers as, as an adult, what you remember them being is different to what they are. Yeah. Um, Clangers is actually quite well structured, um, but Button Moon is, yes, it's 10 minutes, and to be honest, I wouldn't say the stories are nonsensical because they all definitely have a beginning, a middle, and an end. But they don't necessarily... The overall story then doesn't necessarily give you a strong moral message to go away with in the way that some kids' shows do or anything. It was more about, I think, just engaging preschoolers. So, I mean, every show followed a very similar format, which was uh, Mr. Spoon and Mrs. Spoon and Tina and Egbert would get in the, get in the big bean can rocket and they'd fly up. Yeah. through the blanket sky up to Button Moon. When they get there, there was a whole host of characters they may interact with. So they were the bottles. There was a ragdoll and a teddy bear whose names I can't quite remember. But yeah, if I, I, don't, I don't remember those. Yeah, it was Ragdoll and Freddy Teddy. So there oh, you go. Okay, that was Benny. Then there was Benny Bin and Betty Bucket. And there was a Hoover. And, and so there were these, there were these over, overarching characters but they would have a very small story on Button Moon. So when we first got there, it would generally be the bottles, to be fair. It would generally be Small Bottle, Little Bottle, and Captain Large. And th- and they needed to clean up yeah. something. And then that's where Betty Bucket and the bins and all of those would come in. Yeah. And Little Bottle would inevitably 
try and play a practical joke on somebody and it would go wrong and then Captain Large would be like he had no sense of humour really he was like a military guy so he'd get cheesed off and Little Bottle would run away because he was angry and it it would essentially be a skit yeah they would get there and you would have what we would now refer to in adult terms as a comedy skit yeah and the spoons would watch them they'd all have a good laugh and then that would be that bit done yeah and then they'd look through the telescope and when they look through the telescope, they'd either, as I say, watch a story with Brew the Witch and a Dragon, whose name escapes me, or they'd get one of these sort of, they did adapt fairy tales, you know, there they was puppetry involved with things like, I say, Three Little Pigs they would do, or they might do Hansel and Gretel, or, they, you know, stories like that, or there'd be an entirely new original story. Mm. Um, and so then you'd get that segment. Right. If there was going to be a message in the show, it used to come there. Just yeah. by nature of fairy tales have morals. Yeah. Sometimes, especially if they were original stories, they'd be absolute bollocks. <laughs> but they would still have their own beginning, middle and end, but yeah. it, it would generally just be bollocks. Yeah. Then everyone would get back in the rocket and go back down to, I think it was the junk planet, if yes. I remember rightly, or the... Or the Rubbish. I'm the sure it was the junk planet, yeah, was. which is where they lived in a cardboard box, which was an OXO cube box. Yeah. And they get there, and it would end on some. It was never a gag, really, but it would end. There would always be something that would end it. So, like, they get back, and then Tina and Egbert would go and play somewhere, or Mr. and Mrs. Spoon would say they were going off to do whatever, and that would be it. The episode would just end. Yeah. <laughs> so the overarching structure is. What should we do today? Get in the rocket and go to Button Moon. Okay, we've done that. Come back. What are we going to do next? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. And that would, be, that would be the end. So there was, there was never a big takeaway from, from Button Moon, if you like. But it was <coughs> entertaining. Yeah. And I think I've just to go through some, those of you talking about the various characters that are reading some of these and that, I think part of the appeal for this, certainly for that younger kid audience, is the fact that they are everyday items and comparing to things like The Clangers and various other shows that were on at the time. When, I mean, being from the part of the world we're from and not, not particularly affluent areas of that, it wasn't uncommon to pick up a couple of spoons and play fingers no, with them. not at all. Or to pick up a, a, an empty washing up at the ball and make a rocket out of it. Yeah. So it's, it's the fact that people could do this and they, you know, they were the sort of adventures they'd have in their heads anyway. And that's, that is the key to the show for me, I think. And that's why, it, that's why I connected with it so much as a child and I'm sure many other people did as well. And that's why I took that rather romantic view of creating it is because the bottles especially like you could go under the kitchen sink find an empty washing up liquid bottle or these bleach bottles when you yeah. look at them so don't maybe play don't with play those with kids. those kids yeah but if, if they were emptied out you could quite easily draw a face on it yeah. and cut the bottle in half and you've got a mouth which is what they had and then they just had arms that moved up and they, they didn't yeah, pipe cleaners and yeah they, they were pipe cleaners yeah. this is exactly what they were uh, but but the character all came through the vocal performances and, yeah. and then the way the, the puppeteers would move them, but you could do that as a child. Yes. And, and if you didn't do it with, with those materials, you know, you, you didn't necessarily ape Button Moon and make your own little bottle and big bottle, but it sparked that imagination of yeah. what can I pick up here and what can I make? And so the show kind of worked like a child's mind in a way. Yeah, and I, I think that's one thing that having observed um, Jess over the last year or so where her imagination is kicking in the way she plays, she plays with characters, and so she'll have, like, she's got some little Disney princess um, mm -hmm. Fisher-Price toys, but they're still Cinderella, Rapunzel, Aurora, and she plays them as they are. And she doesn't necessarily do what they, what they do in the Disney films, but they are still those characters. She, and I think if I were to give her a couple of spoons and a washing up liquid bottle, 
she'd look at me as if I was gone off. <laughs> she wouldn't know what the fuck to do. Yeah. Um, don't get me wrong, I wouldn't necessarily know it, but it's it. It I think the way that kids play has evolved as well because things because children's toys have become slightly cheaper. They become certainly more accessible. Yeah. Um, and so it's the level of improvisation and level of imagination is uh, required isn't as great these days. I think that also is like like we said that. TV as a medium has evolved and, and it's become saturated and the quality of the shows in general has dropped and I think they've become something different and I think that goes hand in hand with that so when you watch uh, Peppa Pig for instance yeah. or uh, In the Night Garden or, or whatever it is these days and I don't watch a lot of preschool TV these days because I don't have a child to watch it with so I have a knowledge of it but I'm not mm. fully versed in it but what I have seen of those shows they don't encourage play and imagination in the same way that these shows did. No, that's a fair point. I mean, like you said, we're much about In the Night Garden. That's probably the one of the better ones in terms of encouraging imagination <laughs> because it's it all takes place in a world where there aren't any people. Mm-hmm. So everything is soft foam shapes and all that yeah. stuff. So you have a real world, where you have a train type thing and you have bikes. But the creatures are all not humanoids or they not they're humanoids they stand on two legs and, but they're not people yeah so all of a sudden you you can imagine new characters and they always have really bizarre um, yeah. stories so you, it does that kind of does encourage it a bit of, of play but what i mean again having been around small children the last couple of years is that they will tend to ape what they've seen rather than using it as a springboard to go off to imagine other things it's well, that time that the Ninky Nong ran away and they couldn't stop it, I'll just do that with my toy cars and Mabel Piggle on the back. Yeah. So I'm able to recreate They'll that recreate rather, than, that, yeah. rather than going off and saying, oh, well, today they're going to do this or today they're going to do that. It's just, oh, what have I seen them do? Because I know they can do that, so I'll just do that. I think there's, there's more of an emphasis, and this is uh, probably as, as a knee-jerk reaction from society in the late 80s, early 90s, and slightly demonising TV. I think there's a... Kids TV today is more about educating and teaching kids yeah. on, on a hard line thing, using it as an educational tool, almost as an excuse mm. for children to watch TV. Whereas kids TV then was a lot more innocent. Yeah. And I think there's actually more educational value in that, that this is going off on a total tangent, which I didn't see the show going in. But I, I think a show like Button Moon or Rainbow is probably a better example because it did actively encourage children to participate. Yeah. You know, I think there's more nutritional value for a child then in terms of what that's going to do to their mind than there is in something which is, you may as well take them to school to learn that because that's what school does. But I think think it's a type of development as well because, I mean, as a youth, it's the old adage of, you know, you, te- you give a man a fish, he eats for a night. You, te- mm-hmm. you teach him the fish, he eats for, he eats for yeah. a night. It's that sort of thing where if you tell kids how to play, they will play in that way, and that's fine. Yeah. And that, no, that, it's more applicable things like sports where there are rules and things to follow and all sorts of set games. But if you no, if you want a kid to be able to imagine their own way and make their own things up and have their own games, and their own, you need to teach them how to imagine things. They need to develop yeah. them in a certain way. So if you can then say, well, okay, well, there you go, there's your toys for the day. It's a couple of spoons and a saucepan. Nine out of ten will turn into a drill, into a drum, and they'll yeah. battle the crap out of it. One in ten will say, okay, well, maybe that's the house and the spoons are trying to get into their house. Yeah. So they've got, or maybe that's the cat and they've got to chase it out or whatever. Yeah. And they'll develop in a very different way. And it's not a bad thing. I know, to say, well, there's no right or wrong. That, that's yeah, it, that's people. the problem. Yeah. 
there seems to be this emphasis on everything has to be educated, and there's some fantastically educational shows on CBBS at the moment, um, looking at literacy and numeracy. I don't, stuff like I, I don't doubt it. But they, they don't encourage the same sort of development. They encourage very, they, they, they very much support the syllabus of a school, the, the mm -hmm. way the kids are taught to read, the way they're taught to count sure. and to multiply. Stuff. They, they very much work in conjunction with that. They've been developed in such a way. And there are very few shows, and there's one on CBBS called Let's Play, um, which is a girl from Potawa, um was one of the presenters, I don't make it anymore. Um, but there are two of them in the house, and they'd, they'd be talking about something, and then there'd be a scenario would come up where one or other would be chosen to be the main character, and the other one would be the supporting characters in their, in their game. And it'd go off, and one of them might be a knight or a doctor or whatever else. But it would then teach them about various different things about, about that type of job. But then it sort of encourages them to sort of to then go off and think, think about other things, like, you know, other jobs and other types of things that would affect that. And it's one of the few I've seen that actually does encourage that sort of free play effect. It gives you a topic, but then it just, go think about that. Go, go kind of yeah. push yourself that way. Now, I, I'm smiling as you say that because that show existed at the same time as Button Moon and it was called Let's Pretend. Ah, well, there you go. And it's exactly what you've described is exactly Let's Pretend. Well, there you go. So that's, that's a throwback to that. If anybody's listening from the various production people, don't see what it's fuck all to do with us. Go to the I'm, just, I'm just pointing it out. Yeah. That, that was that Let's Pretend, which was another one of these lunchtime shows. Mm. Um, I don't remember that one at all, actually. And, uh, yeah, yeah. It was a, look it up. It was a, it was a thing of another one of my favourites. Um, but it was very much like it was different every single time. And yeah. it was, here's these costumes. And it was a very big set. They didn't yeah. have a lot of props or anything like that. It was, we yeah. put these costumes on and we're going to make a play up. It's uh, yeah. I mean, this it's this just sounds like a slightly more up to date version of that. They're in yeah. a they're in a house. It's out there. They are Rebecca or whatever his name is, the character. Yeah. And they no, they they live together or whatever it is, and they be they be talking about something, and then uh, there's a bit of a song, so it gets the kids ready for what's coming. And then the sets they have, it's it's a white screen with animated bits, and um, they might go into a shop. So there's some boxes making up the counter, and some boxes yeah. making up the shelves. But it's all what you can imagine. So you know, everybody's set will be entirely different in their heads. Mm. So it sounds like a very similar. Yeah, yeah, um, it, was, it definitely is. But I mean, back on that educational tag as well. Even back then, we had the educational shows. They but they were in the mix. Yeah. So we had play school, for instance. Yes. We had not in this country in the end, but we had Sesame Street. Yeah. And you know they are educational shows, and they will teach children that two and two is four, and they will teach you the difference between a triangle and a square, or between red and blue. But they did it in a more playful way, yeah. and they were as part of a package of shows. Whereas now, as you say, everything, everything is almost just drummed into children like a school syllabus is. Yeah, and we weren't so concerned about that. No, in the eighties. Well, I think it's I mean, it's a, it's a social shift, isn't it? Because whereas, like at the time, it wasn't deemed essential for every home drop TV. No. Whereas there's. You, know, you look at some Maslow's hierarchy needs, and you know it's shelter and uh, mm -hmm. sustenance and all of and then I can't remember what the other so te te layers are. But there's a very good uh, meme around that basically that you've got the hierarchy of needs, and underpinning it all is Wi-Fi. Yeah. But it kind of sets up this whole thing that society has shifted, and there was a study done in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, where it said that the the, sort of the essentials for living and you know, for living a contemporary life and a fulfilled life. TV was on there because it's such an integral part of the way people function now, whereas 30 years ago it wasn't. Yeah. It was, not, as you said, it was a luxury, it was a thing that not everybody had. And even the people who did have it, because they were fuck all on most of the time. Yeah. People weren't glued to it the way they are now. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting evolution of that, and I think that that's possibly a big reason for the change. But, and the, the, the change in emphasis, certainly for kids' TV, is that if you're going to have kids in front of this thing 10 hours a day, 
which is not necessarily a great idea for the parents out there. Yeah. But look how we turned out. Um, but if you're going to have your kids glued to it all day, they need something to hang their hat on that isn't just go and play, go and make shit up. Yeah. Um, and it kind of focus on that. We've gone way off topic. Uh, we, no, I, I think, yeah, we're not talking about the show, and yeah, we're talking about TV at large, but I, I think it buys into it, and it is, it, I don't think Button Moon could exist in today's society. No. Because if, certainly not as it, if they remade it now, for instance, there would have to be consequences for all of Little Bottle's actions. Yes. He would have to be dressed down, and he would have to learn a lesson from it. Yeah. And we would almost drum our societal values into our children through it. Yeah. Whereas back then it was just allowed to exist and it was a bit of silly fun and we could all laugh at Little Bottle and then go and make our own. Yeah. Yeah, that, it is a big difference. And that's it. Not that, I say, not that the evolution of, of kids' TV is a good thing or a bad thing, but so you're going to have that. Yes, you're always going to yeah. have that. But I think it's there's a certain detraction from... And again, we sound so fucking old when we say things. That there, there, there's a very obvious shift and a very noticeable detraction from where it came from to what we get now and there's very things are very much coordinated and focused now where you can't just have fun no everything's got to be as I said, everything's got to be educational or pointed or guiding you in some way because we can't unfortunately and again i think it's there's a big social shift involved but as adults we're not trusted to bring our children up the way that we were brought up which is fucking stupid mm-hmm. but we're not trusted to guide them in the same way we're guided into the you know, well-rounded individuals we all are yeah. Um, so we you know everything has to be spoon fed. Everything has to be pushed in a certain direction. And I don't necessarily think that's the right way. And anybody who deviates away from that is branded as you know, some sort of lefty hippie or whatever it is. That you no, know, they're 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 bucking the trend. They're going away from the norm, and they're they're doing things by doing things their own way. They're not doing it right, and I think that's a terrible state of affairs. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're right, and it's it's interesting, isn't it? I I started this episode talking about how this is a different kind of nostalgia. Hmm. And I think that's key to where that comes from. The, yeah. the key to this kind of nostalgia is that this is a throwback to a simpler time for all of us, partly because we were younger and we didn't have the concerns that we have in our lives now, and partly because the world just was a little bit more black and white. Yeah. I mean, people talk about the 80s. I don't think the 80s as a decade comes across as well as any other decade in history. No. Um, I mean... 30s and 40s, not great, but there were some certainly some important social um, aspects, no war side. Um, no, the, the 50s, sort of the rebuilding after the war, the 60s, you had, no, had sort of, no, um, a more liberal shift. The 70s yeah. came sort of the antithesis of that. The 80s doesn't really fare that well in history, and the 90s is kind of getting over the 80s. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, to find any sort of social positives of in, in commentary about the 80s is very difficult. Yeah, and this... This doesn't even... When you look at these shows, they don't even attempt social commentary. No. If, if this... Okay, so if this had been now, as I say, they would be, it would be a lot more structured and everybody would have to learn a lesson and we'd have to teach our children something. Yeah. If it had been the 90s, then yes, there would have been a social commentary in there. Yeah. So we, we would have to have a look at, say, how can Mr. Spoon afford to own his own rocket yeah. when he lives on the junk planet? Whereas in the 80s, it's just, well, because he fucking made it out of a bean can... Yeah. And an upside down funnel, and what looks like the bottom, I, it, it's another tin. Now it's either a smaller tin of beans, because yeah. like you used to be able to get a big tin of beans and a little tiny tin. It's of beans can, it's like a half size thing. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. A, so it's either one of those, or it's like a can of cat food or something. Yeah. But he, you very much get the impression that he has made it himself. Yeah. In as much as a wooden spoon could make a rocket. 
But yeah, then, that's right. You know, we <laughs> that that that's by the by. So, but but in the nineties, yeah, there would be this thing of like, well, okay, and why is Egbert always with? the Spoon family instead of with the Egg family. What's going on at Egbert's home? Does he come from a broken home? Yeah. And, you know, you, you'd have all of that. And what's the relationship between a spoon and an egg? Yeah. Really? Well, that's it. Apart from a fairly even a destructive one. Well, this is the thing because really speaking, like, Tina is a teaspoon which you use to eat a boiled egg. Yeah. So, kind of, her, as we come at it as humans then, yeah. her function in life would be to crack him open yeah, would be to destroy him. But instead, they're best friends. Yeah. And again, there would be a commentary based on that, the fact that, you no know, about inclusion and inclusivity and, and race, especially race in the 80s. Yeah. Um, there would be there would have to be a social comment on that. It's interesting you mentioned a comment about um, how Mr. Spoon built Ford his own rocket and how he's built it because he's on the junk line. There's a, there's a show which was on CBB's uh, a good few years ago now, Lenny Henry was in it, it's called Little Robots. Mm-hmm. And that was a very similar thing. They they lived on a junk planet and they kind of made st- made things out of other things. Um, and it's again, it's part of this sort of thing that around about the time it came out, there was a, a very a big drive on recycling things and reusing things and all this sort of make do and mend attitude. Yeah. Um, that sort of was pervasive in the eighties and then um, and then sort of disappeared. And I think there's there's almost that sort of push back towards that now and sort of this sort of social thing of we're a very consumerist, very wasteful society and about sort of reusing things and rebuilding. And it's 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 almost interesting that had had Button Moon come later, you can almost you can also see it, it in this show being very similar. Yeah. In some of those themes, if not, because as I said if you put a social comment onto onto Button Moon, there there'd be some very obvious similarities to it. Mm-hmm. And it's just when when you mentioned that it sprung to mind and it's again it's very structured, it's very organised. So it's not that now it's not very similar to Button Moon, but this sort of the this, the the contest the way it's set up and that sort of that's the social origin of it as so the fact that it's on a, it's on a junk place and it's all yeah. not, it's all, it's all very much not real and not really not, not, yeah, not yeah. something we can empathize with it's a it's it's probably the closest thing I can sort of remember of, of of a scenario which is set the same as Batman obviously yeah. the stories are completely different, different but, yeah so it's this is a very similar setup hmm. yeah I mean Button Moon is very freewheeling in its style and so it, even if it was made later, it wouldn't be the same thing because to have any kind of social commentary, you you very much need a structure. You need to know who these characters are and what they're saying. And you always got the impression with Button Moon, like I say, although although it had this plot device and it, it was framed in, we go to the moon, we have a little story, we look through the telescope, we go home. Hmm. You always got the impression that inside of that, they although they obviously weren't making it up on the spot, they, it kind of was just like, all right, what we're going to do with spoons this week? Yeah. So, I mean, it was it was that kind of freewheeling, imaginative play, and it. I just don't think that would exist anymore. No, and it's, it's no, kind right. of wonderful for that because it's just a throwback to a time when you could get away with that. Yeah. You know, and and that I think that's certainly why I responded to it as a child. Besides the fact that it was, it was colourful, and I could go and get a big bean tin and make a rocket and stuff like yeah. that. It was the fact that you. It was just different every week. You just never knew where it was going, and so you'd come away from there with a with a head full of ideas yeah. based on what had gone on on Button Moon this week. Yeah, that's right. You know, so so yeah, as I say, for me, it's something I very fondly remember. And whilst we say this is a a different kind of nostalgia, and so I suppose we have to look at it through a different lens to how we we normally look at these shows, which is is it something that you can go back and watch now? Mm-hmm. 
I don't think with any of these preschool shows, when and you know we we will look at some more. There are some more on our list, and if this is something that you've enjoyed as an episode, which is slightly different to what we normally do, then let us know when we can focus on some more of those yeah, and, and what they mean. Into I know the episode's slightly drier, but I think yeah, and these preschool shows lend themselves to that. I mean, certainly if there if there are particular shows as well that you are interested in, in sort of talking about or hearing about, so let let us know that because I mean we. We have a list, and it's it's stuff that means that well, there are, there are shows that mean things to us, but conversely, we, we are aware that not every show we talk about will mean something to everybody, but there will be a similar show with a similar meaning. To yeah, everybody. and and like I said about picking at these threads, and we saw it happen with Mark at the start of the episode. If you suggest something that doesn't encourage us to pick at those threads, then who knows what's going to come out. Um, but as I say, we normally kind of wrap the show up by going, "Is this?" what does this mean to us today? Is this something we can go back and watch? And, and I don't think you can do it with any preschool episode just because they are so obviously targeted at young children. So Button Moon is, av- is widely available on, on DVD and I own it on DVD. Um, but you're not exactly going to sit down and have a Button Moon marathon. No. And incidentally, if it is something you are keen on going back to as well, being available on DVD, for some reason, and God only knows why, season six and season six only... Is available on iTunes to purchase, but I don't know what why the rest of them aren't. Okay, <laughs> who knows? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, for instance, I had no idea there were seven seasons because no. because this is a preschool show. By the time I'd started to get older, so you said what it ended eighteen. It did eighty eight, right? So I'm seven years old at that point. I'm too old for Button Moon, and I've moved on to something else. Yeah. So I I kind of dropped it and moved on as kids are wont to do. But. Having said all of that, if this is if listening to this podcast has, has made you fondly remember this show in, in any way, I would say absolutely go and pick up season six on iTunes or go and pick up a DVD. Hell, I'm sure it's available on YouTube if you really look, but I'd encourage you to support creators. Absolutely. Um, Although most of them are probably dead by now. Yeah. You're, you're probably, if we're honest about it, you're, you're going to watch one episode for 10 minutes and then that'll it. be it. But for those 10 minutes, just allow yourself just take 10 minutes and put aside all of the bullshit that goes with adult life all of the stress and worries all of it put it aside and just spend 10 minutes with mr spoon because this thing's still pretty fucking magical when you watch it it really is it's so imaginative and so creative and so just special it this really is for me anyway there is something special about this show and it endures. I can throw one on now and like I said, I won't sit down and marathon, but I can throw one on now and just be transported back to a simpler time. It's got that about it and it endures because it's so imaginative and so creative. So I can't recommend this show enough. Personally. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, I mean, having not thought about the show for years and then we, we talked about doing this episode and I forgot, I've got to be honest, with Christmas and everything else, uh, it just slipped my mind entirely. So when Chris mentioned this, I thought, okay, I've done absolutely no research remember a little bit and as as we were talking about things were sort of jumping into mind and as Chris said at the start teasing out these sort of memories that are in there because I've not thought about the show in donkey's years um, and to be honest when when Button Moon is mentioned apart from seeing the logo with so the actual moon and the, the words next to it the only thing I ever remember about Button Moon is the song uh, and the fact that my, my wife and her best friend met watching the show when they were three because I've been told that story so that's, that's how important it is. Yeah. Whether you realise it or not, 
that's an important part of your life. Yeah, but I mean, uh, uh, that's the thing that springs to mind. I, yeah. I, I, it took a bit. Uh, it does take a bit of teasing, teasing out. out. Yeah. So, but I, I dare say I'll go home now and not buy it on iTunes because that may be a bit excessive. But I may certainly go and start looking for clips and things on it just to try and remind myself of, of how it went. If nothing else, you'll be singing the theme tune all the way on because that is an exceptionally good theme tune. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, Doctor Who, for that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, it's everything about this show. I, I'm clearly very biased here because I, I clearly remember it very, very fondly. But I just think everything about this show is wonderful. I really do. I think it's an amazing, amazing show and there's just nothing like it anymore. No, that's, I mean, there, there are some things on CBeebies which I think owe a lot to it. Mm-hmm. I think that certainly um, Abney and Teal, which has a very similar aesthetic to it, owes a lot to it. But beyond that, I can't really think of, of anything that comes close. No, me either. It's... It's special. In the, in the good sense of the word, <laughs> not in the, these are wooden spoons without brains, special. Yeah. It's, it's special. Like the cereal. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Um, if you've in, enjoyed this and if this tact is something you'd see us like to pick up more, we still have a, a few more curveballs to throw in the mix as we go, which aren't our general thing either but if these kind of preschool shows and these earlier shows because this is earlier than a yeah. lot of the stuff we normally talk about if that is something you're interested in then then let us know yeah absolutely we I mean, go to our website which is uh, ddpodcast.net you can find us uh, with the double down podcast network on facebook and you can find us on twitter as well but um yeah by all means get in touch and we're, we're happy to uh, to engage with you on that okay so yeah until next time then i guess bye bye mr spoon Bye bye, Mrs. Spoon.